Bible reading this morning is taken from Jeremiah chapter 14. We're going to read the first 10 verses together. Jeremiah chapter 14. We'll read verses 1 through to 10. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized version. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. Judah mourneth, and the gates thereof languish. They are black unto the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. And their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found the water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads because the ground is chapped, for there was no rain in the earth. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yea, the hind also calved in the field and forsook it because there was no grass. And the wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. O the hope of Israel, the saviour thereof in time of trouble, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land? And as a wafering man that turneth aside to tarry for a night, why shouldest thou be as a man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us. We are called by thy name. Leave us not. Thus saith the Lord unto this people. Thus have they loved to wander. They have not refrained their feet. Therefore the Lord doth not accept them. He will now remember their iniquity and visit their sins. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 10. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now for a few moments, let us turn to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37. Let me just read it. Young people, listen to what the scripture says. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as an hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. This morning I want us to journey from Northern Ireland over to the land of Canada. And I'm going to just present something here. This is a hen. And I want us to think about the story of the little red hen. I haven't got a little red hen, so I have to use this hen as a substitute. But one morning a particular farmer was coming out into his farm And all of the animals were making a terrible racket. The cows were mooing, the uh, lambs were bleating, uh, the the, uh, 
chickens were, were making a, a, a terrible noise. And as the farmer came out, he, he sniffed the air and he realized there was going to be a prairie fire. Now, the farmers in those particular um, farms were always wary of a prairie fire. So they always had barrels of water that were filled, and they always had a trench or two trenches outside the outskirts of the farm, and that would have been a deep trench full of water, and they would have uh, removed all the prairie grass on either side to make a fire break. Really, that's what it was all about. And when he uh, sensed that this fire was coming, he would have doused his house with water and doused his haystacks and doused his barns and he would have let his animals out uh, because he wouldn't want them burnt to death inside the sheds. Now, the little red hen was watching all that was going on. And of course, could see the cows going out into the field and could see the sheep and the lambs out there and even the pigs were being let out of a pen and the little red hen had 12 chickens. Now, listen to what the Lord Jesus said about the little hen. He said, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even, so he's using a, 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 an illustration, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. Now, one of the reasons why a hen will gather her chickens, or her little baby chicks, as they're rightly called, under her wings is especially in a time of danger. And the little red hen, as the story goes, had 12 chickens, and she called every one of them to and spread her wings, and they would have come under her wings. And you see, that was for safety and for protection. Of course, there's... One little chicken decided it wasn't coming to mummy's call. And it went away and it was looking for pieces of straw and it was looking for um, worms and it was looking for pieces of parched corn that were just lying in the ground. And it was oblivious to the flames that were coming. And of course, you see, what the farmer had to do when these uh, prairie fires swept through, he had to go underground. And he wasn't sure if there was even going to be a house or a barn left standing whenever he emerged the next morning or a couple of days later after the prairie fire had passed. But he had done his best and he had left the animals really. But this particular farmer prayed and prayed, Lord, protect me and my house and my farm. And we commit it all to thee. And we pray that after the worst of this is done, we, we'll still be safe. So he emerged from his underground bunker with his metal doors uh, the next day. And as he was walking through, things weren't too bad. A few things were charred. The house was still standing at least. The barn uh, was uh, slightly burnt as well, but at least he could repair that. Some of the haystacks had went in fire, but not all of them. And as he was walking across the yard, he came across what he thought was just like a, a lump of dirt, a black charred little ball. And he gave it a kick with his foot just ever so gently uh, to, to spread it about, thinking that it was just some earth. And guess what it was, young people? It was the charred remains of the little red hen. And as he kicked it, out come 11 little chickens. And they were all chirp, chirp, chirp. And they were standing there and they were looking at mummy. Now mummy had gave their, her life for their protection. And of course, what had happened to the one that didn't come when she was called? Well, it was burnt in the fire. So that was sad. Now, there's a wonderful spiritual lesson here. 
Because our Lord Jesus Christ, remember, gave his life for us. And he calls us to repent of our sin and believe in him. That means come and put your faith and trust in him. And if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you will be saved from hell's fire. But if you don't obey the call and refuse to come, then the danger is, Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot be. And there's only one of two places. There's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. And hell is a terrible place, young people and boys and girls. We probably have no idea, and I'm not saying this to scare you, you have no idea what, what hell is really like. It's a place of outer blackness. It's a place of uh, darkness. It's a place where there's unquenchable fire. Uh, and the Bible tells us even where the worm dieth not, gnashing and wailing of teeth. If you could just imagine a place like that, and it's probably even worse than what we could ever imagine. You can be saved from that by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Just as the little red hen gave her life for her to save her chickens. That's what she does in place of danger. The Lord Jesus does for us even much more. And do you know, maybe even we could add something else. Whenever you're in need of protection and help, you can go and trust the Lord. You can, as in a sense, a spiritual sense, shadow under his wing and know his protection and know his provision. Well, the Lord bless you. I trust that you've learned something this morning, even about uh, the little red hen. Now, my text this morning is taken from Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 7 to 9. And I've entitled this message, A Blessed Prayer of a Broken hearted prophet. Now listen to the prayer. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. For our backslidings are many, we have sinned against thee. O hope of Israel, the Saviour thereof in the time of trouble, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land, and as a wavering man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Why shouldest thou be as a man astonished? as a mighty man that cannot save. Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us, and we are called by thy name. Leave us not. I could also have entitled this a necessary prayer for every child of God. Or I thought of a third title, a prayer for every free Presbyterian to consider. Now, you're well aware that Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He was also a praying man. He was a man of prayer. He was a man, of course, who knew and loved the Lord, but he believed in the power and the purity of prayer. He knew that prayer changes things. He knew that we can accomplish and do nothing for God without prayer. And Jeremiah 14, verses 7 to 9, records one of Jeremiah's prayers. And this prayer is recorded for us by the Holy Spirit. Like all the rest, I believe, was produced in his heart by the Holy Ghost. And it was offered before the Lord out of a great sense of need. And this prayer helps us to see that Jeremiah was putting his spiritual finger 
on the true spiritual state of the prevailing landscape in his day and generation. You've got to think about the state and condition of Judah at this time. You've got to ask yourself, why did he pray this prayer? You see, the true problem of the land is being revealed here. You've got a physical problem, but the physical problem is only a symptom of the true spiritual state of the problem. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I've been thinking about this prayer. And rather than start this morning back in Colossians 2, we're thinking of verse 12, and then breaking for Easter, I felt that I'll preach this message this morning and will return to Colossians 2 at a later time. Now, as I thought of this prayer, there were four things came to mind. I want you to think of the harrowing condition he sees. Look at verse 7. It says, O Lord. And if you can... Down to verse 8, you've got, oh, the hope of Israel. And then when you come to verse 9, in the middle of the verse, you've got, oh, Lord. Now, the word, oh, teaches us about the size and the sign of a broken man. Because I believe these oh's were wrenched out of his heart. You see, if we were to read, as we have done the chapter, at least in part, Jeremiah 14, 1-6, what does it say in verse 1? The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. What was the word about? It was about the dearth. The word dearth here means restraints. That that's what the margin says. You see, there was a problem in the land of Judah. If you look at verse 2, it says, Judah mourneth, and the gates thereof languish. They are black unto the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. You see, there's great sadness and distress. There's grief and tears throughout the land of Judah and in the city of Jerusalem. And the word dearth here, or the restraints in the land, is because of a great problem of drought. The effects of the drought were seen and being felt right across the land. Terrible effects. This means that this was a famine in the land. This drought meant a famine in the land. Look at verse 3. It says... And their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and they found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. Look at verse 4. Because the ground is chapped, for there was no rain in the earth. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yea, the hind also calved in the field and forsook it because there was no grass. And the wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their, their eyes did fail because there was no grass. Do you get the picture? There's no water in the water pits. There, there's no rain to, to soften the, the earth or the soil. The ground is hard baked under the sun. Even the plowmen who tried to break it up, well, they're ashamed. They, they can't do it. 
And, and, there, and there's no grass, verses 5 and 6, it mentions it twice. The hinds calved in the field and forsook their young because there was no grass. The, the wild ass snuffed at the wind, trying to catch a sense of vegetation, trying to get a sense if there's any moisture in the distant horizon. But there's none. There's no grass. You see, here's a picture. No water in the storage pits. They're empty. No rain. The ground is so hard it can't be ploughed. The cattle, they are starving. There's no grass for them to eat. And so are the people because their bellies are hungry. And it's a sense of devastation. It's a time of great distress. And what we're learning is when Jeremiah prayed, O Lord, he has seen the harrowing condition of the land. And he feels in his heart, thinks in his mind, this famine in the land is calamitous. It's causing great restraint. But remember this. This famine is all under the control of a sovereign and a loving God. Nothing's by accident. It has come about by appointment. You see, this famine in the land is from God. God has sent it. He has permitted it. He has allowed it. And, and this famine is a sign. We've been thinking about the end of the world. And of course, part of the sign of the end of the world that's coming is a natural sign of disasters. And the disaster could be a famine. It could be earthquakes. It could be pestilence. These are the beginning of sorrows, the Lord Jesus said, upon the earth. But in the midst of it all, in the calamity that's under God's control, because God has sent it for a reason, and he sent it as a sign of judgment, in the midst of it all, God is speaking to the people. He hasn't gone away. He is still there. He, he's on the throne. And isn't it wonderful to know that in all of this situation, what's befallen the land, the Lord is a word for his people. It's not what we read there, Jeremiah 14, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. I want you to feel the force of that. Here's Jeremiah seeing the land of Judah on a physical level. And it's a scene of great distress and devastation. Now what does Jeremiah do? Well, he goes to the Lord in prayer. Verse 7, O Lord. When Jeremiah's face to face with the awful state of the land... He turns to the Lord and he takes the matter to the Lord in prayer. In other words, he begins to pray. And is there not a lesson there for every true child of God? We must and we need to spend time in prayer before the Lord. Not only in a day-by-day -day general sense, but in a specific sense, especially when we can see the harrowing condition in the land. What about the harrowing condition in your land? In this wee province? You see, I believe, and I want you to know this, and I want you to be aware, that there is a spiritual drought that prevails at this time in Northern Ireland. 
It has been a long time since Northern Ireland experienced a true heaven-sent revival. I'm not talking about a man-made, man-manufactured revival that's fake, but I'm talking about a real Holy Ghost-sent revival. And if you were to ask me, what is the greatest need for Northern Ireland amid all the political upheaval, amid all the economic uncertainty with rising oil prices and rising food prices and national insurance and rises and VIT and all the rest, what is the greatest need amid all the uh, immoral uh, mass that we see happening in front of us? What is the greatest need for we Northern Ireland? It's this, a glorious heaven-sent revival of true Bible-believing religion. It's not what the ancient prayed. Psalm 85, verse 6, Oh, that thou would revive us again, that we thy people may rejoice in thee. You see, if we take a step back from all that's happening politically and economically, begin to think of what's happening religiously and spiritually in the land. Is this not a day of godlessness? A day when they've turned their back on God? A day of lawlessness? When people have no regard, by and large, for the Ten Commandments? And they're happy to do their own thing. Is this not a day of emptiness? Where there's disillusion and dissatisfaction. And there's an increase of alcohol abuse. And an increase of drug abuse. And people have become lovers of pleasure. More than lovers of God. And by and large on the Lord's day. Instead of the houses of God being filled. And people asking is there any word from God. This famine in the land has to do with the word of God. Because this famine is for lack of a word from God and the lack of the knowledge of God. I want to ask this as I've asked my own heart. Have I considered that we're in a spiritual drought situation in Northern Ireland? And secondly, am I distressed over the spiritual state of the country? Am I distressed about the spiritual state of the free church? You see, Jeremiah and a few with him represented a very faithful remnant that gave themselves to prayer. Surely that remnant, those that are faithful and love the Lord, long for the Lord to intervene. And you see, I've challenged my own heart. Do I, have I considered that we're in a spiritual drought situation? And I, am I distressed enough to give myself to prayer? Do you see that there's a spiritual drought prevailing in Northern Ireland? You see, this prayer, this prayer came about because Jeremiah was focused on the harrowing condition in the land. It was drawn out of a sense of seeing the need in the land of Judah. And he was hearing about it, not only from the cries of the people, but he was hearing about it from the word of the Lord. The Lord was saying to him, Jeremiah, do you see this? This physical drought... That was intense. No water for the people, no rain for the land, no grass for the animals, no food on the table. It was a time of great distress. And the man of God was asked by the Lord, 
when the Lord gave him this word, do you see this, Jeremiah? What are you doing about it, Jeremiah? And what does the man of God do? He gives himself to prayer. He begins to cry, O Lord. And three times in these three verses, we can read the words, O Lord, it was wrenched out of his heart. I put it to you that he was a broken-hearted man. He's in distress of soul. And the only thing he can do is turn to the Lord. And remember what we read in the hymn writer, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And what does Northern Ireland need? What do the churches in Northern Ireland that are true to the blood and the book need? They need a people who are so distressed and so burdened at what they see happening that they long for the Lord to work again and for the Lord to intervene. And they give themselves to wait in the Lord. And in their brokenness, they cry out, O Lord, And even if the Lord sent the calamity and the Lord has foreordained it and permitted it, they they know that he can intervene and he can change the situation. And there has to be a reason from the loving hand of a sovereign God why this has come. And that's why I get distressed and upset. And I'll not name names, but it has been put to me that we don't need prayer meetings anymore. We don't need nights of prayer or half days of prayer or special seasons when we call the people to pray to wait upon the Lord. And when you have leaders of the church telling you that, there's something wrong. Here's a leader, a prophet. And when God gives him this word, what does he do? Oh, Lord. I want you to think, secondly, the honest confession that he said. Look at verse 7. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake, for our backslidings are many, we have sinned against thee. Notice the words, our iniquities testify against us. Our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. Jeremiah is including himself. Why is this physical drought come, Lord? What's the reason for it? The answer is simple. It has come about because of sin. Iniquity. It has come about because of backslidings that are many. It's a sign of God's judgment. It's a sign of his great displeasure. That this this uh, uh, natural disaster that's come on the land is to call the people to repentance and get right with God. So the man of God makes a very honest confession. He confesses his own sin. He confesses the sins of the nation. He, he says, we have sinned. Our iniquities. The word iniquity has to do with perverseness, a natural bent to go astray. We're born in sin and shaping in iniquity, the psalmist said, remember. Our backslidings. Oh, how prone we are to backsliding. 
prone to go astray. We have sinned. It means we have broken God's law. It's not what sin is. Sin is any one to conformity unto a transgression of the law of God. What is sin? Sin's a transgression of the law in thought, in word, and deed. So when we measure ourselves by the Ten Commandments, we begin to understand how sinful we are. We begin to understand our, our lost and miserable state. I don't know about you, but I, I love reading the prayers of God's servants, especially in the Bible. You see, I believe those prayers are recorded for our learning. They're there for our encouragement. They're there for us to put into our minds. They're there as a pattern so, so we might um, at least follow in their footsteps. And here's one of the true elements and the true features of prayer. An opus, an honest and humble, broken confession in regard to sin before the Lord. Our own sins. And the sins of the people. See, it's biblical to confess sin. Sins of the country. Sins of the visible church. Your own particular sins of private. Remember what we read in 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When did Daniel confess his sin. If you turn over there to Daniel chapter 9, I think of Daniel 9, I think of Ezra 9, but let's just go to Daniel chapter 9. We read in verse 20. What do we read here? In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 20. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly touched me. Notice these words about the time of the evening oblation. Now the reference there to the time of the evening oblation is a reference to the evening sacrifice. Remember there are sacrifices in the morning, sacrifices in the evening, and that would have been the time that they would have been um, presented unto the Lord if the temple had still been uh, operational. But, but it's at the time of the evening sacrifice. And you see, Daniel has to be thinking of the shed blood. And remember, there's only one acceptable ground upon which God hears and answers our prayers, and that is the ground of the shed blood. Daniel's approaching God, I believe, in the ground of the shed blood. It linked into 1 John 1 and 9 is these words, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And as we confess our sin, let me suggest to you that we confess the nature of sins. Our iniquities, it's plural. Our backslidings. It's plural. You see, he's been very specific. He, he adds the words, we have sinned, which means we have transgressed the law. The word backslidings is used 16 times in the Bible, 13 of them in, Jer in Jeremiah. And in prayer, Jeremiah the prophet, as he confesses his sin, he, he focuses on one particular area, our iniquities. And our backslidings are many. Now, what does that mean? It means the children of Judah were guilty of being spiritually unfaithful to the Lord. 
They were guilty of saying they loved the Lord. And yet in their lives, they gave their heart and life, they gave their affections to another. In other words, they, they were guilty of the sin of idolatry. And here's just one area. They, they built altars to offer to other gods that were not gods. They built them in the high places. They ended up bringing them into their gardens and into their houses. They, they fell down before them. They, they worshipped them. They prayed to them. They offered sacrifices to them. Uh, things of wood and stone and precious metals that couldn't see nor hear nor act. And, and they, they sought to appease them. You see, here's the true nature of backsliding. They are being unfaithful to the Lord because they're not loving him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Their, their heart and affections are not really with them. They say they are. They make the claim. But they're not. And all this despite the fact that God has blessed them. God has provided for them. God has protected them. God has pardoned them. And yet they turn away from him in unfaithfulness. Remember what the Apostle John says in 1 John 2. He says this in verse 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And you see, not loving the Lord, that's one of the signs of backsliding. And it's easy to say, I love the Lord. Do you say that this morning? How do you love him? With all your heart, soul, mind and strength? If you do, then when the day of God comes, You'll remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In relation to this book, which is the word of God, you will study and meditate in this book. You'll think about the throne of God, and I've got to go often and talk to my God. How could you be in love with someone that you don't talk to? Do you see the impact? It's contrary to the mind and will of God. It's a sign of idolatry. Your, your heart affections have been placed elsewhere. Not only confess the nature, but confess the number. Notice the words, if you go back to our text, our backslidings are many. That, that's a multitude. A, a variety of things come to mind. In other words, backsliding has a tremendous grip on the heart. And your, your life has been directed, and your life is being derailed by this mindset of backsliding. In other words, you're prone to it. We were singing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Our heart and mind just taken over by it. Solomon said this, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. A backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And how many of God's people who profess to love the Lord are filled with their own ways. So backsliding has taken control of their heart and mind. And therefore their backslidings, because they're full of their own ways and not the Lord's ways, they're multiplied. They're increased. And the focus is on me and on my need. And, and, and therefore the heart has become cold and careless. The heart can be callous to God and his word. The, 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 the heart can be complacent. I want you to tell you something else if you look at the text. It not only confesses the nature of sin and the number of sin, but it confesses the news about sin. 
Look at verse 7 again. It says, we have sinned against thee. Do, do you see that? You see, all sin is against the Lord in thought and word and deed. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The, the book says, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Ezekiel 18 and 4. Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and you see, backsliding is just one of these areas. And our backslidings are many. But added to the backslidings, there's, there's our iniquities. Because the bottom line is, we have sinned against thee. I want you to think not only of the sins in the church, and we could highlight them. The coldness and the carelessness, the prayerlessness, the, the lack of faithful attendance in the house of God in the Lord's day. But also think about sins in the country. Idolatry, apostasy, homosexuality, abortion, atheism, transgenderism. I received a video this week of a, a doctor, David uh, Macarath. And he was sacked because he refused to call a transgender person she. It was a big bearded man. And he was told by the judge when it went to court that his religious belief is his mere opinion. And it's of no consequence. So true Bible-believing Christianity is of no relevance. It's irrelevant according to the judge. And he argues, of course, that it impacts on his freedom of belief. It impacts on freedom of speech. It impacts upon compelled speech. Because according to the government, this is the only ideology being allowed to be expressed. This is what the government and the courts want us to say and believe. And of course it's contrary to the word of God. It's contrary to our conscience. I also think this morning of the horror of abortion. I think of our MLAs that voted to murder babies in the womb. They're coming up for election. But you think of this. They've just recently voted that babies with cleft palate, club foot, Down syndrome, little babies, up to birth. If the mother chooses, because it's her right, it's her body, to murder those little babies. And they have legislated for that. And even recently there, the Belfast Health Trust was forced to apologize to the MLAs for the evidence they presented about the buffer zones around the abortion clinics is based on lies. The figures they told them were wrong. Can you see what's going on? We could talk this morning about the dodgy figures to do with the COVID virus. We even now have been told that we need to apply for permits to preach the word of God in the open air. See, see they want everything indoors now. They, they, they want to tell us what we can't say in the pulpit or on the internet. And we live in a day when there's a boldness to sin and people are not ashamed and no longer blush. You see, there, there's the evidence of a godless, lawless mindset today. The sins of the country. Oh, I need to be careful, but let's think about the sins of the church over there in Second Timothy. In Timothy chapter 3, remember those 19 manifestations that we've been talking about? 
Second Timothy chapter 3, this know also in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be what? Lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such t- turn away. Nineteen manifestations of human depravity will be seen in the last days. And where will it be seen? It will be seen in the life and witness of Christ's professing church. God is grieved. God is vexed. Can we see that the physical and political life of Northern Ireland has been greatly impacted by the decisions that have been made? And it's impacted upon the economic life of the country, impacted on the medical life of the health of the nation. But it's greatly impacted upon the spiritual life. In fact, the spiritual life is the key. If, if we're right spiritually with God, then the Lord's blessing will be upon the land and his people. If we're not right with the Lord, then we can't expect the Lord's blessing to be upon the land and his people. How important in the eyes of the Lord it is that we make our confession. Do we see the true nature of sin? Do we hate and loathe that sin? Do we weigh up the number? Our backslidings are many. Oh, if the Free Presbyterian Church took that to heart this Easter time, from the leadership down to me and to you in the pew, our backslidings are many. So let's get before the Lord and repent and get right with him. Oh, we get hold of the news. We have sinned against him. See, see, that's what gripped David's heart. David said in his great confession, Psalm 51, when he was being restored to the Lord, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David was overwhelmed because he realized my sin is against the Lord. And he has such a knowledge of God and a fear of the Lord and a love for the Lord in his heart that he goes and confesses. 11 months after his backslidings, which are many. I hadn't just sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite, against his country, against his throne, against his righteous rule. He he had sinned against the Lord. Oh, there's a harrowing condition that we must see. But there's an honest confession that we must speak. I have two other points here. There's a humbling concern that he sensed. Just just look at it. I'll come back to this, but just look at it. It says, verse 8, Why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land, and as a wafering man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Why shouldest thou be as a mighty man? Should, should be as a man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot see. There's four similes there, all connected with the word as. Starting with, why should thou be a stranger in the land? And I'm convinced that the Lord is a stranger to us. There's a humbling concern he sensed. The other thought that I had was the hopeful consolation he sighed. Oh, the hope of Israel, the saviour thereof in the time of trouble. Two weeks from now, we'll come back and we'll finish this sermon. And we trust and pray the Lord will help us as we meditate on the things of God.